Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. I was a junior in high school in 1988. My sister was a freshman in college. And I I thought my life was going pretty well. But I didn't know what was really going on in my family. I came home from school one day, one afternoon, and I was, now understand, that's like 4 o'clock. I was greeted by my father, my mother, and my sister sitting at the kitchen table. I was like, well, that's odd, because my sister's at college, my dad's at work, and everybody's sitting in the kitchen. So that was not normal. So my father asked me to sit down while he and my mother then explained to my sister and me that they would no longer be staying together. And I didn't learn all the details behind all that till months later, but at that moment, I mean, it's caught me completely off guard. I didn't didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to act. I was shocked, surprised, mad. I I just didn't know what to do. And so I, I remember, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember asking something like, what do you mean you can't stay together? Can't y'all just you know, talk about things and work it out? And apparently all the talking that could be done had been done and the situation was beyond repair at this point. Now I was only 16 years old. And so it was uh, the beginning of my junior year in high school and at this point in my life I'm 16 I hadn't been to college let alone seminary I hadn't even really studied my Bible all that much to be honest Uh, but over the next few months I started to develop my own personal views about marriage and divorce and I was determined even at that age I was determined This was never happening to me. In fact, years later, um, six years later, as a matter of fact, um, Darlene and I met, and things were progressing as far as seriousness in our relationship and thoughts, at least, about marriage and those types of things, and Um, I remember we had several conversations about the subject. And I I told her, because, you know, her her experience at home was totally different than mine. Um, And I remember telling her something like, look, um, you know my experience. So if, if 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 you can see now, if there's ever even a remote chance that you think you and I would ever discuss divorce as an option, then we're not getting married. That's just, that's not happening. 
Uh, so I know you can, nobody can predict the future. I understand that. But I refused to go through. And it, and it wasn't even, remember, it wasn't even me. I was a child of that. But I, I refused to go through that catastrophe. And I, I knew it when I was 16. I knew it when I was 22 when we met. And um, I knew it when I was 24 and we were about to get married. But as far as, as far as I was concerned, our marriage was going to be till death do us part or it's not going to be at all. And it was not until years later, um, almost ten years later, that I would be called to preach the gospel, go to seminary. And it was during that time that I was privileged enough to develop what I believe is a truly biblical theology of marriage and family. And so my, I have one goal today. I just, I'm, I'm saying all that just to try to give you some background on where I come from. But my, I have one goal today, and that is to read God's Word and explain what it means in its context and, and then pray that whatever our background, whatever our experience, whatever our personal situation we can all move forward from today with what God says and, and not what we think. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes what God says and what we think are not the same. And when that happens, I can tell you who's not wrong. It's not God. It's always me. So that's my goal. Now before we, we've only got two verses in Matthew's Gospel today in, in, our, in our progression. But before I read those, there's three other passages of Scripture that I feel like I need to read as a, kind of as a foundation. And so I, they're not going, these aren't going to be on the screen because some of them are a little more lengthy. And so I, I want everybody, this is important. Okay, this is really important. This is, it's not easy for me to preach this, and it's probably less comfortable for you to hear it. But I need everybody to try to stay tuned in and, and stay engaged and, and just pay attention to the Scriptures. That, that's all I ask. That's all I'm trying to do. So the first passage of Scripture I'd like to read is in Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a phone or something and you want to actually hold a Bible in your hand, there's Bibles in the pew. And this particular Scripture is on page 2. I've got, I've got all the page numbers in the pew Bible for the Scripture I'm about to read. So if you don't have a Bible, you want to grab the one out of the pew in front of you. Page 2. And the Scripture I'm going to read comes from Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 18. And then I'm going to read verses 21 to 24. So all right there near the end of chapter 2. Okay? Here's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him, or, or corresponding to him. And then verse 21. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, pay close attention to this verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 19. If you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 719. Page 719 in the pew Bible. And this is Matthew chapter 19, the first nine verses. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing Him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And He answered and said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The last passage of Scripture that I'll read is in Ephesians chapter 5. This is page 866 in your pew Bible, page 866. This is perhaps, well, not perhaps, this is the, the lengthiest and the most comprehensive passage in the New Testament on marriage, right here. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Here's what the Bible says. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes 
and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of His body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, I don't know if you noticed something there, but all three of those passages of Scripture, well, the first one, it was in there for real, but the other two quoted the first one. That same Genesis 2.24 is a common thread in those passages of Scripture. And so now, with kind of that sitting in our minds, I want to read just two verses for this week, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. These are on the screen. And here's what Scripture says. Here's what Jesus says. It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now before our minds just start running down trails, let me pray. Father, the scripture before us today, and I'll just speak for myself, it's really, really difficult. And there's a lot that I feel like I want to say, and there's a lot that I feel like I need to say, but I only want to say what you think I ought to say. So whatever that is, I pray that your Spirit will guide my heart and my mind and my mouth so that whatever it is we read and hear and understand today is just what what you're telling us, not my opinion or anything else. So I pray you would speak to us clearly, you give us understanding, give us ears to hear for your glory and our good. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now this is difficult because it's only two verses. And so when you read this, it's easy to... Here's what typically happens. I'm not saying it happened with y'all and maybe it didn't. But here's what typically happens. What typically happens is we hear these couple of verses or maybe one of the other scriptures I read and we immediately think to ourselves, we might not say it out loud, but we think to ourselves, well, I know what that means. Or, well, I've heard a preacher say this before, or, or I've heard that this, this means this. And so what I'd, what I'd love to happen is that we don't think about those things. Because uh, you all know as well as I do, I've heard plenty of things from preachers over my lifetime, and not all of them have been true. <laughs> right. So that's why I want us to concentrate just on what the Bible says. And there's only two verses, so let me just get, get at these two verses, and we're going to take them one at a time. 
in verse 31, we start the same familiar formula, right? You've heard it said, or it was said this, and Jesus quotes the Old Testament. And then in the next verse, he'll say, but I say this, right? So that's the same formula. Now, look at verse 31. It was said. Now, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, okay? And so you can write this down if you want to, if you want to have a record of it. It's Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, okay? So if you want to, if you want to go back and look at that, you can. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. But here's basically what that passage tells us in Deuteronomy. A man takes a wife. For whatever reason, she loses favor in his eyes. He finds some indecency in her. He sends her away with a certificate of divorce, and she remarries. Then her new husband either dies or he divorces her. And then the Bible says in verse 3 back there, her original husband must not remarry her. Okay? So that, that's kind of what that passage says. But the, the piece that Jesus is quoting is about giving a certificate of divorce, sending uh, a man sending his wife away, which is the part you see in verse 31. Now here's the, the biggest thing for us to understand about this little paragraph of two verses is the context. Because I, I try to say this all the time, context is of first importance. So where's this in context, these two verses, what's the immediate context? Do you remember last week? Verse 27, verse 30, what was that about? Adultery. So these two verses, that is the immediate context for, for this, this little paragraph, is last week, verse 27 through 30, which was about not committing adultery and even rooting out adultery in your heart and your thoughts. Okay? And so that, that's where Jesus is going here. He's talking about, uh, you've heard this about divorce and giving a certificate, but look as we move into verse 32, the power of those words, but I say to you. And then he's going to explain and he's going to try to give a, well, he's not going to try, he's going to do it. He's going to give you a fuller explanation of what he means. Okay? And so please listen carefully to this because this is, this is hard to... I, I don't expect anybody to walk out of here today and say, okay, I got it, I understand. I don't expect that. Because I've, I've labored over this stuff a lot. This subject in particular. Because of my own family experience, and over the years I've labored over it more to try to really understand the biblical teaching. When I was in seminary, I, I spent time in conversation with several different of my professors. One that taught a class to me about marriage and family. Another one was talking about Christian ethics. And these, these guys who are way smarter than I am, and I, I just wanted to hear some, some biblical counsel on this stuff. So before I break down verse 32, I want to give you a little illustration that I think might be helpful. Remember, the context is adultery, right? Verse 27. So you could we could have feasibly... Con, uh, combined verse 27 through 30 and verse 31 to 32, but I felt like we should tackle these separately so it wouldn't be all piled up on one Sunday. But here's the illustration. What if I were to ask all the adults in the room a question? Now, I, I, you might have saw me um, at the very beginning. I was kind of glanced around just to see who's, see who's in the room. I, I want to try to be sensitive here to our, our younger folk. If I were to ask all the adults in the room a question, it would go like this. 
How many of you start fires in your living room? Nobody. All right, so then I would ask, so nobody's got a fireplace? <laughs> How about a fireplace? Anybody got a fireplace? Still? Not gas logs, fireplace. Anybody got a fireplace? You got a few? Okay. All right. So you do start fires in your living room. Right? But, but you don't start them in the middle of the carpet. Right? You don't start them in the middle of the room. You keep them contained by bricks and steel. You see, fire is good. Brings warmth and light to the center of the house. Let me phrase this best I can. Physical relationships between husband and wife. That's good. It brings warmth and life to the center of the marriage. But you take that power outside of the protective boundaries, you burn your house down. Same with fire, same in marriage. You want to know why there's so much pain and hurt and tragedy in the context of marriage and family? We're burning our houses down. Because we're removing protective boundaries. And so that, that applies equally. Y'all, listen to me. That applies equally to husband and wife. It applies to unmarried single people. Y'all alright? Everybody okay? You still breathing? God gives us a gift. And it's a good gift. Physical relationship, relationship, physical intimacy. But He also gave us some well-defined protective boundaries for that gift. And there's only one context where that gift is to be enjoyed. And that is in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Because that's the God's honest truth. That is the context in which that gift should be enjoyed, and only in that context. And anything outside of that is burning your house down. You might not see it today, you might not see it next week, but the fire is lit and burning. So, when you get to verse 32 and you understand the context, the immediate context being adultery, the real focus, believe it or not, now, now, he'll get to, as I read in Matthew 19 earlier, he's, Jesus is going to get to that subject of divorce. But right here, divorce is not the focus of this passage. Adultery is. So, so I want you to try to see it through those lenses of uh, it's not... It, marriage, marriage and divorce is talking, it's kind of almost like a, a secondary... Uh, context here, adultery is in view because of the immediate context in verse 27 to verse 30. So here's what Jesus says. Everyone who divorces or sends his wife away... Now, now let's skip over that little except for for a minute because that's a, an insertion. Okay, so let's read the sentence if that were not there. Everyone who sends his wife away makes her commit adultery. Now, what in the world? How is that? 
How is that possible? Or makes or causes her to commit adultery. And then he says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, so in your mind, Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Right? So everyone who divorces his wife sends away his wife causes her to commit adultery. Now, I want to point out one little thing here. That's, this is, you can't see it. You can't see it without looking at the Greek New Testament. There's two different words being used in this verse. Now, I won't go into all the Greek grammar and language and all that. Just, I'll just tell you, and I've got them in my notes here, but I just, I'm, I'm just trying to say there's two different words. When it says, except for reason of unchastity, that word unchastity, fornication, sexual immorality, that word is the Greek word where we get our word pornography. Okay? Now, the word for adultery, where it says makes her commit adultery, or whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery, that word is different. So the word translated adultery is, is a different Greek word than the one that's translated fornication or sexual immorality or unchastity. That's, a, that's a, a different word. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because the implication of that shows us that the focus is not so much on the divorce itself, but it is on the act of adultery as given to us in the four verses prior. Because here's, let me, let me try to explain this the clearest way I can. Verse 32 says, if you divorce your wife, you make her commit adultery. Okay, so let's just consider that. If, if, if sending your wife away causes the adultery, now you can understand that except cause a little bit more clearly. Because here's what Jesus is saying. If you send her away, you cause the adultery. If she's already committed fornication, you're not causing the adultery. It's already happened. Does that make sense? So the focus on what Jesus is saying here is on the heels of you shouldn't commit adultery. Verse 27, 28, 29, and 30. And then he gets here and says, now if you send your wife away, you're causing her to do that. Unless, of course, she's already done it. Then you didn't cause it. But it still happened. Does that make sense? So, so why is that important? Here's why. You ready? That's important because it has nothing to do with, well, you can divorce your wife if this happens. This is not an exception, nor is it an exception in Matthew 19. Because he says the same thing in Matthew 19. That's not an exception. It's not a free get-out-of-marriage get card. It's not what it is. I'm, I'm going to explain why in just a second. But... The, the first part of verse 32 and the last part of verse 32, if you send your wife away, you make her commit adultery. If you, married a, if you marry a divorced woman, then you commit adultery. That's the focus. Now, now why should this be true? Why, how can this be true? Because the second part, look at the last, the last little clause in verse 32. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, now, see, in that clause, it don't say nothing about why they got divorced. 
right? Because the focus is adultery. It just says if you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. So, so why does that um, mix? You know, how does that mix with what is being said in the rest of the verse? Here's the thing: a marriage vow is not temporary. Just this past year, 2022, I think I did five, maybe six weddings. And did you know that, and this may shock some of you, but in every one of those five or six weddings I did this past year, not a single one of them stood up there and said, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, unless, and then fill in the blank. Not a single one of them said that. Nobody said, well, I'm going to make this vow unless... This circumstance comes up, then all bets are off. Because that makes for a much less romantic wedding, right? If you stood up there at the front and said, "Well, here's my disclaimer. You better read read this before you know that that nobody goes into marriage thinking that, right? Why why would you? Why would you? I mean, if if you're if you're thinking like that, then maybe hit the pause button." For just just a minute, right? And so the reason why this particular passage, these two little verses nestled into the Sermon on the Mount, why they're so um, profound is because they're showing us the context of a, a Christian person and why Jesus put so much emphasis on adultery as being so terrible and so um, the consequences being so terrible why he says if you even have a thought you're already you're already in, on thin ice right because that seemed kind of harsh last week right but this it's not it's not and this is why you ever seen um, and this this I don't know that this happens as much anymore you ever seen a old like a um, a magic act a magician, an illusionist, where they bring out the, the big box and they have their assistant, the lady, crawl in the box and then they take out the saw and they go in the middle of the box and, you know, everybody's, no, don't, you know, and he's acting like he's acting like he's sawing the box in half with her in it and then he set wheels to two parts and you got... What you really, I hate to be the one to, you know, break this to you, but you got some, you know, somebody curled up in the bottom half, wiggling their feet, and then her curled up in the top half, moving her head, and it's like, how is this happening, you know? But what would happen if you did that in real life? It would be a terrible mess, and someone would lose their life. Genesis 2.24 For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife so they are no longer two, one flesh. And then you, you heard that phrase when I read Matthew 19 earlier. You heard that last sentence, right? 
Therefore, whatever God is joined together, let not man separate. You know what happens when you take one flesh and you tear it apart? This is why divorce is so terrible. Because, listen, and I'm going to try to be as, as complete as I can be because I don't want anybody to walk out of here thinking, well, you just don't understand. I, I'm not trying to cast judgment on anyone's life or circumstances. That's the last thing I would ever want to do. But I do want us to understand what the Bible says because everyone in here knows should know. There, what did I read in Psalm 130? God, if you kept a record of wrongs, nobody could stand, but with you there's forgiveness. Abundant redemption. That's why you're feared. Israel, put your trust in the Lord. Right? That, that, that's the whole point. There is forgiveness. Every time, full and free. But that doesn't mean that consequences are just magically erased. That's why it's so difficult. There's, there's not a, a, a one of us in here that has any room to talk about anything about sin. Any sin, doesn't matter what it is. Any unfortunate circumstance. None of us has any room to talk about that, okay? We're on equal ground. We all need Jesus. We all need forgiveness. None of us is any better off than anyone else in any, in any way. So I want, I'm trying to, 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 be, um, to, cl- to be clear on this. But the, context, the larger context, after you get beyond the Sermon on the Mount, you get back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Not just the immediate four verses prior to it, but go back to the Beatitudes. And now you have, in verses 3-12 through 12 of Matthew 5, you've got the portrait of a Christian. And that, that covers the rest of the teaching, right? This is what a Christian looks like. And what does that look like? Poor in spirit. Mournful over our sin. Gentle, meek. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Merciful. Pure in heart. A peacemaker. Persecuted for the sake of righteousness. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, seeking a better righteousness in Christ. Verse 20. That is not the picture of a person who's burning their own house down. Does that make sense? This is, this is so, so serious. And that's why Jesus has put it where He put it, right there in the, in the, on the heels of the teaching about adultery and in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. You, you know, um, I mentioned the weddings uh, from this past year. I think I set a record um, on the last two days of the year. I did, I did three weddings in 36 hours. Crazy. We will not plan that again. Uh, but it, hey, you know, it all worked out. It all worked out. I didn't, uh, we, we didn't have a wreck driving, you know, uh, all over the place. 
and so, so here's, I wrote a wedding. The first wedding I ever did, I wrote from scratch. I just really wanted to put, you know, first one, I really wanted to put everything into it. And, and, and it turned out so well that ever since then, I was just like, I've kind of, I edit and add and delete, but I, I, the, the basic framework is roughly the same because I just like, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can't come any, up with anything better than this, but he, here's the vows, and I always give uh, options for vows, you know, because I want to try to be um, open to, to what the, the couple's trying to do. And, but here's the vows, my favorite one. Here's my favorite set. And you'll, you'll recognize a little bit, little bit of it to be familiar, but here's my favorite set of vows. In the name of God, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to know and worship Jesus Christ and to make Him known until we are parted by death. According to God's holy ordinance, this is my solemn vow. It's my, my favorite one. I love the, the line in there that I had... When I saw this, I said, I'm, this is going in there. I'm not, I can't not do this. To know and worship Jesus Christ and to make Him known. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? What better place to, to start that strong than in your marriage, right? So here's the thing about the vow, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 27 through 30, verses 31 and 32. Do we really want to cause another person to commit adultery? Because for whatever reason... Those the vows didn't hold. And, and listen, please, please don't hear what I'm not saying. There are so many different situations that can happen. And so, like I said before, I am not trying to cast any judgment on anyone or anyone's experience. Not not in a million years. But I do believe that when, when these circumstances arise, I think it really just highlights the huge importance of what you do when you choose a lifelong spouse. And how um, important it is to really um, put a lot of prayer and, and thought into that. So, God's Word will always be greater than our experience. And that's, that's hard. That, you talk about something hard to apply to real life. That's hard to apply. It's true, but it's hard to apply. Let me give you a, a quote here from... James Boyce. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can read it. It is always easy to get our standards from what other people do or say or from what we should like the Bible to say. But we must not do that. 
We must be people of the book and we must not lower its standards. There comes a point in time when we, we have to stand firmly on the foundation of Scripture. Even when it is super uncomfortable or difficult or awkward or maybe even unpopular. We have to stand on God's Word. And, and here's why I read those three passages of Scripture at the beginning, particularly the one in Ephesians 5, which is kind of the chair text, like the major text of Scripture for our theology of marriage, because it compares, y'all know what Ephesians 5, what, you know, I read it, you've got 12 verses, you've got 3 to the wife, 9 to the husband, that's not by accident, because two reasons, our job's more difficult, and it's also, you know, it's guys, you know. We got trouble, you know, listening and doing, you know, what I'm saying. So, but here's the thing. That passage, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, it paints a picture of what, how Jesus loves the church, right? Now, here's why I said God's Word is always greater than our experience. Is there a scenario in which... Jesus will ever forsake the church and send the church away. So, biblically speaking, there should never be a scenario when a husband should send his wife away, forsake marriage vows. Biblically speaking. That, that's my theology of marriage and family. Biblically speaking, that's the ideal. That's the principle that we're striving for. Okay? So, I'm not, I'm not leaving. i got a couple more words. This many on my page. Now, I know we are, we are fallen sinful people. We are living in a fallen sinful world. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this right here, this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and completely sufficient Word of God. From cover to cover. That's what this is. So, what we have to do, what we should do, is we should get our theology from Scripture and then apply it to our circumstances instead of looking at our circumstances and coming up with our theology. Does that make sense, what I just said? And that's the most difficult part about living the Christian life. We have to get our truth and our theology and our uh, worldview from from God's Word and then apply that to our circumstances, not the other way around. Because here's what happens if we do it the other way. That's the definition of relative truth. That means this is true in this circumstance, oh, but it's not so much true in this one. That's God's Word is true, period. Every time, every circumstance. It just means... It might be difficult. So, 
in the case of biblical marriage, we have to be extra careful, extra cautious, extra prayerful when we are trying to find our spouse. And, and even if we do those things, sometimes it, it doesn't end up like we planned it. Right? Because we live in a, in a fallen world. But we also have to remember this truth. This is critical. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's not just a nice, quaint little saying. It's the truth. You, you know where we hear that in the Bible? When Jesus was going to be born, do you remember what the angel said to Mary? Because he told her, you're going to conceive by the Holy Ghost and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she questioned Gabriel. And she said, what? How can this be? I've never been with a man. And he explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one to be born of you will be called the Holy One of God. you remember what he said at the end of that sentence? For nothing will be impossible with God. Not even the birth of the Savior of the world. Nothing. If God can do all He's done, if He can create the universe, if He can send Jesus to be born by a virgin and, and, then, and then have that plan of redemption to be completely carried out to perfection, He can handle whatever we have in our lives. And so, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Yeah, this is the last thing I'm going to say. We can't go backwards. We can't go back in the past. We can't change the past. We can't undo things that are done. Okay? And we all know that. And we know that if we're in Christ, that the past is exactly that. It's the past. Jesus has it covered. Okay? But here's what we can do. We can take the Word of God and we can start today and we can go forward. And we can say, you know what? Maybe my past isn't what I liked it to be. And you know, I made mistakes and this happened. And we also, we can't determine what other people do to us. You know, you can't make somebody want to do the right thing. You know, and so, you know, there, I won't go into it, but there's circumstances in my, in my personal experience where you go back and you look and you think, well, you know, what did they do? It looked like it was done to them. You know, that, that, and that's usually the case. You can't undo the past. But you can start from this point forward and say, all right, every day from here on out, I'm going to follow what God says because I know that's better. So if you've got experiences in your past and and you're, you're hearing this and you think, well, you know, my experience doesn't necessarily line up. What did, what did the Bible tell us? God, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. There's forgiveness. Abundant redemption. That's why we can say from this day forward, I'm following Christ. I'm following the Word. 
He's got my past covered. But my future belongs to Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 